Today's episode is about weather and climate, also known as the difference between, holy crap, it's 57 degrees in February, and, huh, I just moved from Maine to Washington and I feel like winter hasn't happened yet. We'll get into the differences between the two categories, some ways the two can be measured, how they're impacting the planet, and, of course, a little about our current problems of climate change as well. Hi, I'm Kate Harubi, and this is Go Forth in Science podcast, where we combine adventure and science into a tale that will hopefully make the next time you step outside even better. Now, I know in most of my episodes, I give a little bit of a vocabulary blurb before getting into the interview, but my guest in this episode does such a great job of explaining the difference between weather and climate, I'm just going to jump right into it. So today, I'm bringing on the last, but definitely not least, of my grad school roommates. Here's Erin. Thanks, Kate, for having me. Originally, I'm from a really small town near Syracuse, New York. For undergrad, I went to Dartmouth College and majored in earth science. After graduating from Dartmouth, I went on to get my master's degree at the University of Maine, but I didn't originally plan on majoring in earth science. Actually, at the beginning of freshman year, I was planning on studying physics or engineering or minoring in math, but as I kind of started to figure out who I am and what I want to do, and after I took an intro earth science class where we got to actually go outside during class and do some field work, I decided I wanted to switch to earth science. So as I took classes in that subject and started working in a lab in the department, I eventually narrowed my focus to climate science using ice core research. And I'm sure I'm going to talk more about ice cores later, but if you don't know what it is, an ice core is just a column of ice that scientists take out of a glacier with a drill, and it basically records the chemical composition of precipitation over time that's fallen at that site. And the precipitation, in this case snow, can tell us things about past climates. That snow picks up a record of the air it was made out of, for example, what oxygen was doing a thousand years ago, and then keeps that record as the snow turns to ice. That oxygen can tell us features of that younger Earth, like whether it was warmer or colder than it is now. So when we melt the core and keep track of how the chemistry of its meltwater varies with depth, we can then learn the history of the atmosphere and the climate at the site where we drilled it. Anyway, now I just moved to Houston, Texas about a month ago, In my free time, I really like to run. I used to run competitively in high school and college, and now I'm just kind of doing it for fun and stress relief and eventually hope to get into ultra-marathoning. I also really love skiing, but I'm now in a place where it obviously doesn't really snow, so I'm trying indoor rock climbing and maybe eventually outdoor rock climbing if all goes well. Oh my gosh, yes. Whenever I come visit you in Texas, let's go rock climbing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think I have to get a little bit better first. That's fine. I'm not that great either. What is the difference between weather and climate? The main difference, I would say, is the time span you're looking at. So weather tends to describe short-term conditions, so it can be on the order of a few minutes to hours or even up to a week. And climate is different. It's usually defined as more of a long-term average. Climate normals tend to be 30-year averages, but you can also look at longer or shorter averages. And one, one quote that I feel like really tells the difference pretty well between weather and climate is climate is what you expect and weather is what you get. Um, so can be more of a surprise. <laughs> so if you look outside your window or car windshield right now, you'll see rain, sun, wind, snow. That's the weather. But if you're in western Washington like me, you'll be more likely to see rain. If you're in Texas like Aaron, you'll be more likely to see sun. If you're back in Maine where we both used to be, then you'll be more likely to see snow. That's climate. 
So what specifically were you researching for your master's degree? My field site was in the San Elias Mountains, which are in the Yukon of Canada, so kind of northwestern Canada near the Alaska border. We used both ice core data and data from a weather station that our lab group maintains up there. And one of our main questions was how melt on the surface of a glacier affects our ability to draw conclusions from chemistry in the ice core. And this was kind of a question that we didn't plan to study at first. But when we went up and collected a core, we saw that the chemistry in it just looked really different from other cores that we had collected from a slightly colder, slightly higher elevation site in the same region. So normally in an ice core, you would measure the meltwater and see kind of up and down wiggles. And that's the technical term. That you can then use to match ages with depth in the core and learn more about past climates. But in this core, we just saw that it kind of flatlined with depth. So this indicates that meltwater had trickled down through the snowpack and just caused the chemical elements to redistribute. And we no longer saw like a preservation of chemistry of the snow that fell in the past. So then our research question became how melt on the surface of glaciers affects our ability to draw conclusions from the chemistry. This is kind of an interesting but unfortunate result because it means that as glaciers experience more above freezing temperatures and more melt than they have in the past, we'll be starting to lose the climate record that's preserved in these ice cores. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those cases in science where you're actually hoping for a more wiggly, squiggly result and then the fact that you didn't get that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like it's how a lot of science goes. Yeah. How were weather and climate connected in your research? Ice cores are more for studying climate because you can't see individual weather events. You really need the weather station data that we also had to look at individual weather events like storms. So yeah, the difference between my two data sets really kind of highlighted the difference between climate and weather. And now for our must-have minute dedicated to climate change. You often hear people who don't think climate change is real say things like, oh, it's record-breaking cold here, where's global warming? Or it's really snowy, where's global warming? And that's because they're mixing up weather and climate. So if you broaden your view and look at temperatures averaged over the entire winter in recent years, you'll see that it's been warmer on average than it was in the past. But another effect of climate change in many regions is that we're seeing more extremes. So that can be extreme heat or extreme cold or high amounts of precipitation that are falling over a short time. So you see the the polar vortex in the north or extreme flooding here in Houston. So you have to just look at a longer scale, more than just a few hours or a few days to see the effects of changing climate. And when you do that, it becomes really clear that there is a definite difference now versus in the past. And we're seeing these extreme weather events get closer and closer to becoming the climate. Our planet is warming, and that's making drought more common in some areas and rain more common in others. This can be kind of mind-bending, but think about places like the Amazon rainforest, where it's warm and wet. Then think about the Sahara Desert. It's warm and dry. So as the world gets hotter in general, we start to see weather events that are a bit more out of place in their current climate. Many of these lead to extremes that we are not prepared for, like floods, fires, and heat waves. And while we can still call these events extreme right now, it might not be much longer before they become normal. I actually remember like when I first noticed the climate was changing, it was long before I even decided to study earth science or climate studies or anything, but my dad used to make maple syrup when I was growing up, and we didn't have a separate fridge to keep the sap in. We'd always bury it in the snow to keep it cold, and the syrup season was around March, and we always had enough snow, a pretty consistent snowpack. We were able to bury these buckets of sap in the snow until we wanted to make it into syrup. Uh, but then I remember just one year, it was so warm in March, the snow melted, and so we had to just kind of scrap a bunch of the sap. 
and we just figured, oh, it's weirdly warm this year, like, we'll just try again next year, and it'll be better, but then it just kept happening more and more, and my dad eventually just kind of gave up on making syrup, because it was becoming, I guess the abnormal was becoming the normal, and that's kind of how a weather pattern that you see can become climate. And now, back to the Yukon, southeast Alaska, and the St. Elias Mountains. So with all of these storms and then obviously the melt events that you'd been getting in the recent years that were kind of screwing with your data, what was it like to do research in southeast Alaska? The region does get a ton of snow, and so it was really good for skiing. On some of the off days, we, we just went skiing to explore on the glacier. Um, but you also get like a lot of travel delays from the snow, so you, you just have to kind of wait for a clear day to fly up to your field site. And I had pretty good luck with the weather, but I just heard of some past people in my lab group that went up to the same region and were stuck on the ice in their tents, like playing cards and reading books until they were <laughs> able to have a clear day where it wasn't snowing when they could fly back down. And so like usually you'd stay at a field camp when you were waiting to fly up onto the ice. While we were waiting for the weather to clear, we got to drive around and do some sightseeing in the mountains and saw some mountain goats. And then once we flew up onto the ice, we were in this tiny plane where you had to weigh everything and make sure it was distributed right so the plane was balanced. So that was kind of nerve-wracking the first time. Was it a plane that had skis on the bottom of it to land? Yeah, so you just <laughs> land on the, on the snow. <laughs> I've always wanted to be in one of those. They're really fun. I've always been kind of a nervous flyer, but... I actually kind of liked it. <laughs> you survived. That's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> it was also light out all the time, pretty much. Like, it would get a little bit dusky around 2 in the morning, but since it was summer in the Arctic, it was really light. And it was pretty warm during the day, usually. Like, when we were digging snow pits for samples, we were in t-shirts, but you just have to wear a lot of sunscreen since the sun reflects off the snow and can burn you a lot. Did you get sunburned <laughs> in any weird places? Oh yeah, definitely. My lips got really sunburned and like the bottom of my nose. Yes. I usually just, the sun comes from above normally, so you don't think to put sunscreen on those parts of your body. But Right, yeah, it's like the little, the little space in between your nostrils just gets hit yeah. so bad. Yeah, that was the worst one for me. <laughs> yeah, but I think the, like, the hardest thing about ice core drilling is that we had to wait until about 10 p.m. to even start because you couldn't do it when the snow was slushy. Um, oh, wow. And if you're one like operating the drill and pulling the cores out of the ice you're not doing much physical effort so you're just standing around and freezing and handling pieces of ice core with your hands to weigh and measure them and you get pretty cold so we'd always go back and make late night hot cocoa when we were done (laughs) so what was your sleep schedule normally like if you were working at night um i guess we just like didn't get that much (laughs) but you slept really well when you were sleeping because you were so tired but yeah, at least in the St. Elias, we'd only go up for about a week at a time versus people that go to like Antarctica and will just be camping for three months. So yeah. it was manageable when it was a short-term thing. Yeah, for sure. So what was your favorite memory from the time that you were in the St. Elias? We used to go skiing on our off days to just explore on the glacier. And my advisor and our other person in our lab group that was there to help us drill both had these alpine touring skis that are made for... Either like you can strap your heel in to go down a steep hill or you can release your heel to walk across flat ground. But oh, nice. I just had like regular average cross-country skis where your heel is just released all the time. So they would want to go up these steep hills inside the glacier and like ski down. And it was like really fun and everything, but they were able to strap their heels in and do their turns like you'd normally do at a ski resort. And I don't know how to do turns on cross-country skis, so I would have to just fall to stop <laughs> myself every time. <laughs> I don't know, like, I consider myself an okay skier, like, I'm, I guess, intermediate. You're definitely better than me, that's for sure. (laughs) 
usually don't like fall all the time, but then the one time I ski in front of my advisor, I'm falling every so often <laughs> to stop myself. So it's kind of embarrassing, but also funny. Uh, yeah, I feel like we all need to have moments like that where we're just like, well, our bosses, our advisors, the people that we kind of look up to and our mentors, they just need to see us at our worst occasionally and then they'll recognize, oh yeah, we're just all in this together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you could take an ice court anywhere in the world, where would you take it and why? I guess so just assuming that we only have the glaciers available that we do now, or is it just kind of any site if there were a glacier there? Any site if there were a glacier there, and I will also open this up to time travel. So if you oh. wanted to go to any time to take an ice court, you could also do that. I guess I would go to my hometown, like around Syracuse, maybe during the last ice age. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Before asking you this right now, I hadn't actually thought about time traveling for ice cores, and now I'm really into the idea. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I'd also go into the future, but... <laughs> oh, that's true, too. That'd be good. Maybe not an option, because we don't know if there's going to be glaciers anymore. I think I'd go maybe, like, 200 years in the future to Greenland, just to see yeah. if there was ice there. Because, oh, because then, Greenland or Antarctica, then you could take an ice core and get records from the past couple hundred years, and then we'd be able to take that knowledge back to now and be able to let people know what would happen. Yeah. I mean, I wish I was the only one with that ability so I could write some really <laughs> riveting papers. <laughs> I think you'd get a Nobel Prize for that one. <laughs> I guess another place I would really want to go is Antarctica, just because you can just see so much further back in time with how much ice there is. Yeah. It's a totally different atmosphere than what I'm used to in St. Elias and in Alaska. If I'm being more realistic about it, where <laughs> they actually have glaciers. <laughs> Whenever I think of Southeast Alaska, I just always think of rain, which I guess in your case is probably snow. But there's a lot of precipitation there. Whereas in Antarctica, you just don't really get precipitation. It's a lot drier. So it'd be still an icy climate, but a very different one for you to be in. Yeah, definitely. Two questions connected. What is your favorite weather and what is your favorite climate? I think my favorite weather would be kind of like it is today in Houston. So it's low 70s right now, like totally sunny out, not a cloud in the sky, but like really cold in the morning. So you wake up and there's frost on the ground and it's a really clear, nice sunrise. So what's um, your favorite climate? So I think, I don't know if it's just because I've like always kind of called it home, but the climate that's typical of New England, or at least when we used to have that more consistent snowpack in the winter, and I just kind of love climates that have seasonal variability, I guess, in general, just because like you can do different outdoor activities every season and you're looking forward to it and the next season all the time and just can do different things at different times of the year. But I'm sure I'll also learn to appreciate the climate of Houston, at least in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. When everybody else is complaining about snowstorms and having to dig out their car, you can be like, oh, ha, I don't have to dig out my car anymore. <laughs> yeah, that is so true. I mean, snow is really nice, hypothetically, and it's nice sometimes, but then when you're, like, really cold morning digging your car out or, like, scraping the ice off your windshield, it can be a little bit annoying. <laughs> yeah. Miss it, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Washington and I'm stoked to be back here, but I miss it a little bit too. I think the rain is kind of home to you, like in Washington? Yeah, there were days in Maine where it would rain and kind of remind me of Washington and I'd skip to school and then I'd get to school and everyone would be like, oh my god, I can't believe it's raining, I don't want it to be raining. And I'd be like, oh, I love it, it's home! <laughs> yeah, that was always me, like I just, I always hate rain because that's just, I'd rather just have snow. It's easier to stay dry in the snow, I think. That is true. <laughs> Cool. Well, thanks so much for being on. Is there any social media you would like to plug for yourself? Sure. I do have this Instagram account called The Incredibasils. So it's just at the underscore Incredibasils, kind of like The Incredibles. 
And it started out as just this fun little project to distract me from grad school when I was doing the National Food Day. (laughs) Yes. And now it's kind of evolved into more of a sustainability-focused food account. So meatless meals that I try to make. And I did a Plastic Free July campaign last year, and we'll try to continue that every year. So if anyone wants to follow that and learn more about sustainable meals and sustainable lifestyle, feel free to follow me. Woohoo! It's good. You also get to see lots of photos of Rockus, which is the dog that is currently sitting next to you. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to a lot of cute dog pictures coming up. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on and for talking about weather and climate. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And now for our episode recap. The biggest differences in weather and climate are that weather is what is happening at a certain place in a specific time, but climate is the general pattern that happens in a region over a longer period of time. It might be sunny right now in western Washington, that's the weather, but our climate is a temperate rainforest, and you can bet that a sunny winter is an anomaly here. We can measure weather with weather stations that record temperature, precipitation, air pressure, wind, humidity, things like that. And if we take enough of those measurements and average them over 30 years or more, that's the climate. We can also get information about past climates from ice cores. The water in those cores keeps a chemical record of what things were like years ago. But it's not a precise enough measurement to get weather, just climate. A problem we're running into, however, is that as our planet warms, ice is melting. And that meltwater trickles down into the glacier and messes up information we could have gotten about the climate record otherwise. This makes it harder to see into the past and therefore predict the future. As things get hotter around here, future predictions are something we're going to rely more and more heavily on to prepare for extreme weather events like drought and floods, extreme weather that may be getting closer and closer to becoming the climate. But to end on a positive note, we can thank our Earth for being a planet that has different climates in the first place. It's what allows us to take warm tropical vacations in the winter or go skiing in the mountains in the summer. It's what gives us coral reefs and rainforests and deserts and grasslands. It's what makes our world home. I would like to thank, again and always, the professors in the School of Earth and Climate Science and the Climate Change Institute at the University of Maine. Also, my environmental science professors at my undergrad college, the University of New England. The scientific article used for information in this episode is Michael Mann's 2017 paper, Influence of Anthropogenic Climate Change on Planetary Wave Residence and Extreme Weather Events. Thanks for listening!